Hey mamas, I'm Sam. And I'm Taryn. And together we're the Messy Messy Mamas. Mamas. We've created the Messy Mama Pod because we've both experienced the messiness that motherhood brings. We're completely unfiltered and unapologetically ourselves as we chat about all things motherhood. Once a month, we're going to be spotlighting one of you mamas so that you can share your story, advocate for your babies, and connect with the other messy moms in our community. Dry shampoo's our best friend and this shirt may or may not be clean. Our lives are completely chaotic, so if you're anything like us, welcome to the mess. Okay, let's go chat. And remember, mamas, messy can be beautiful. Hey, mamas, before we get started, we wanted to mention something super quick. As you're about to hear, this episode is sort of a heavy one. We're talking about sex trafficking and slavery, and the stats and all the information was so shocking to us, which is why we knew that we wanted Not For Sale to come on and help educate and spread awareness for this topic. As you're about to hear, their mission is to end sex trafficking, and with it being a really big mission, they really need all the help that they can get. That's why Sam and I want to take this quick second to talk about their apparel line. All of the funds from Not For Sale received from their apparel line go directly to the organization to help fight the battle. The money could be going to buying the kids and women who they've rescued new clothes and personal hygiene items. It could be buying food for their safe house where the victims are living. Or it could be going to something like creating more opportunities for education and spreading awareness through events or social campaigns. Their clothing is really cute and it's super comfy. So if you want to join forces with us in helping Not For Sale end sex trafficking, you can simply visit their website, www.notforsale.ca, to check out their apparel line there. Hey mamas and welcome back to another episode of the Messy Mama Pod. This week's episode is kind of cool. It's very different than anything that we've done before. Um, And the whole purpose of us bringing Not For Sale on is really to educate, to empower us as moms. So we're talking all about the sex trade and um, sex trafficking, which is a really, really heavy topic. But Not For Sale really, really stands strongly in the belief that we need to be educated so that we can prevent and protect our family. And Sam and I just agree with that so much. Um, We often see these stats or these scenarios or we hear about this stuff through Facebook or on the news and it seems so far away but Sam and I have seen a lot lately and we've had these conversations where it is kind of getting too close for comfort if that makes sense so we're very very grateful that um, Angelica and Margie are here with us and using our platform to kind of empower all of you moms as well as us so thank you you two for being here Thank you for having us. Yes, we're happy to be here. This is so awesome. Why don't we just kind of start with your mission, what your vision is, um, and we can just get into all the nitty gritty. Yeah, that sounds really good. Um, So basically our mission is to see the end of human trafficking in our lifetime. And like, I know that seems like a huge vision to have, but really our team is really passionate and just seeing that come to pass. So, um, and I think too, when you have a big, a vision of where you want to go. It kind of pushes you to kind Mm -hmm. of, um, yeah, put in the time that you need and the grit that you need just to continue. Right. Um, basically, so our vision is to establish safe homes all over and just to provide long-term supports for those that are coming out of human trafficking. Mm -hmm. Um, Uh, I know in Canada, we've very much focused on, we don't have a safe home in Canada at the moment yet. Um, So in Canada, we've very much focused on raising awareness 
um, and just educating, right? Like we've, mm-hmm. we've gone into different youth programs um, or youth groups and just educate our youth on how they can protect themselves from becoming victims. And um, I think even leaders, you know, youth leaders and parents, it's really important for yeah. us to be educated so that we can um, almost take a proactive approach rather than um, just dealing it after the fact. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I love um, that. Yeah. And I think another thing is just to activate our communities, just to join, you know, join the mm-hmm. fight. And um, because we couldn't do this without without mm-hmm. everybody that's that's given a hand or volunteered or donated, you know, it's so important to have uh, people coming alongside us. And we're so grateful that we've had that. So yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. And one thing that you said that I want to touch on is um, how you're saying to be proactive about it. Um, my husband and I are both teachers and I'm even just thinking from a teacher standpoint or like business owners in the community or whatever it is like those you, anyone that's around youth, because it totally is. It's something that is becoming so common and especially online. And we're going to get into that. Um, but yeah, I love that. I love what you guys are doing. So where are your guys' safe houses right now? You said you don't have any in Canada. So where are your efforts going at the moment? Okay, so at the moment, we actually have a safe home in Mexico. And do you know what? It's been it's been a bit of a challenge for us because we went into the... It's coming into a new country, learning what does this look like? Who can we trust? Who can we build relationships with? And so that's mm-hmm. a process for us. And we want to make sure that um, we just have the best foundation in place. And so that means... Um, you know, being vigilant also in in um, discerning who can we trust because we're working, you know, against cartel and a lot of the police force are actually in on the trafficking in Mexico. So we oh really gosh. have to be careful. There's officials working within the government that that we know that are, you know, part of the trafficking ring. And so it's it's been a bit of a challenge. And I think another challenging part has been um, just getting the proper certification for our home to operate, right? And so that's been really like a huge focus for us because we want to start this thing right and on the right foundations. But yeah, right now we are in Mexico and um, I mean, it hasn't come without challenge, but we are happy that we are there. We know that the relationships that we have built within the government, they just see, they see the need, right? Mm -hmm. They see, um, uh, honestly, we're the only organization out there that is um, looking out for children who have been trafficked. And although some of their needs are similar to those that are orphaned, there are a ton of other needs that that need to be addressed psychologically and mentally and just the trauma that they've gone through. And so, um, you know, we feel that's an important part of it too for them. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, we do, we have seen a lot of favor with the relationships that we do have built within the government. So. My gosh, it's, I'm like, I'm sitting here almost shaking because you just start to realize, um, I mean, sometimes I'm like, okay, well, that's in Mexico. But again, that it it's not as far as we think. And I know that you guys have some really at-home stories that you're going to share later, which are also very eye-opening. Um, but in a previous conversation we had, you were saying how in Mexico, it's just out there. Like, it's almost like everyone knows it's happening, but no one just really says anything. 
Yes, definitely. It's it's we find that it's very integrated into the culture, right? And so there is the thing about Mexico is there is no child services out there. There's no social services that are looking out mm. for the welfare of these children. So um I mean, the whole system is is very, very different there. So these kiddos are, they're just used and abused. And for those that make it into the orphanage, let's say they have been trafficked, um, you know, pimps can go and they'll they'll kind of search out, they'll kind of hang around the orphanages, they'll kind of hang around the schools even just to kind of scope for the kiddos that, that have been able to find a way out, you know? And so... You know, that's another part of our organization is it's very important for us to have the proper um, safety features in place. So um, we want to be discreet in whether we put them in the public schools or not. Right. So for us, it's been really important to have teachers on hand and um, and not integrate them into the school systems right away. Because, first of all, mentally, we want to make sure that they're ready to to be in close proximities with other children, even that their minds can handle being in a classroom setting. And mm. do you know, um, there's expectations, right, for schoolwork. Mm-hmm. The school has to – so there's expectations then placed on them. And so our heart is first to just love them and just meet them where they're at. So. And it's, it's really – terrifying and Sam and I have had this conversation like and I I feel like I'm kind of getting ahead of myself but I'm just I know kind of some of the content you're going to talk about but you are pulling children that have been sex trafficked for weeks months years most of their lives and so they have literally just been abused over and over and over so can you talk about in your um, safe home, what do you do in there? Like, what does that look like? Once you have saved a child from the sex trade, you bring them to your house and what does that entail? Okay. So I think for us, it's been really important to just meet them where they're at. I think that's one thing. Um, I think another thing is just not to have it seem like a program that they go through, right? Um, it's more or less where it's, it's a very different thing when they're just going through the program and through the motions. And it's a whole different feel if they have a, what feels like a family unit, right? Mm. And so when they come into our home, it's, it's important for us to have staff on hand, that are there ready to receive them. It's important for us to have house parents that live within the home that nurture these kiddos that come in. And so it it's building that stability so that they know that these specific adults in their life, they are dependable. They are trustworthy. They're looking out for my well-being, mm-hmm. that they love me, they care for me as their own. And I think, too, keeping in mind every child that comes in, you know, we, we're, every child is different. And who, each child, we don't know, they might, might end up being a teacher. You know, mm-hmm. they may end up being a pastor. We may be raising up the next teacher or the next pastor mm-hmm. or the next um, leader within their community that is advocating for change. And so it's like keeping those things in mind. These are... We want them to not just be surviving, but actually thriving and giving them hope 
that they have a future and giving them an opportunity to dream for greater things, right? Um, so, you know, even talking about, well, some of the things that we offer, it's it's important for us to, to allow them to dream, to have the proper staff in place. Um, and, and that means, you know, we have a cook that cooks for them. That means we have a psychologist that comes in and helps them work through a lot of the trauma that they have gone through. Um, we actually had an individual that um, offered baking classes and she just taught these kids how to bake and just like fun interactions still. Um, and then we have school teacher on how we partner with doctors um, that just not only we don't want to just address their trauma, but we also want to address their physical needs. Right. That part of it is really important as well. So um, I think overall, we're not just thinking of them in a um, not just thinking of the addressing their mental issues, but also mm-hmm. their physical, their psychological, um, you know, that full circle is important to us. And mm-hmm. we don't want to be missing any gaps because we know how vital it is to just build that trust with them. Right. Yeah. I love that. I, I can't even imagine what that looks like and all of the work on your end to have organized that. That's super incredible. And The other thing that just kind of keeps ringing through to me is that we kind of might blanket the sex trade and think that it's one thing, but these kids coming to you could have, like, their experiences could be totally different depending how old they are, who it is that's brought them in. And am I right in saying that? Absolutely. Um, Each child has had a different experience and um, even how they respond to um, you know, their counseling and everything or how they mm. respond to the changes, even knowing that they're safe. Um, and their healing journey is very different for each child. Right. So, um, a child could, well, in our, like within our home, we've had instances where a child was, um, just very open and they shared, do you know, everything that happened, has happened to them and they, Mm -hmm. they just felt right away that they could, they trusted us and, um, moving forward was quite, well, seemed easy, but then they regressed later. Um, Mm -hmm. we've also had instances where they've just been quiet. They, you know, a conversation is minimal. They're not very interested in interactions or any of those things, but then later on they did much better because they built trust, um, slower. Um, I know one of, I can share a story of one of the girls that came into our home and, you know, when, when we rescued her, she, she was 11. Um, and she was completely, she was so malnourished. She didn't talk. And even when she tried to speak, her words just would not come out clearly. Um, you know, she, there's small things like she didn't even know her own birthday because it, it just had never been celebrated. Oh, right. Oh my gosh. Um, and when she came to our home, she didn't eat properly at the table. She didn't use any utensils. And that kind of lets us know a little bit of how, um, almost in a D de- like the dehumanization mm-hmm. that she may have experienced. That's exactly not, what I was thinking. Yeah. Just not knowing how to use these utensils properly even. And even when like, wanting to be affectionate with her was difficult because she would just shake in fear. And it was something simple as even have the house dad come into the same space as her. She would just shake in fear. Um, it was pretty evident that she just didn't trust, 
um, any adult figure actually for that matter in her life. Right. And so, um, I remember, you know, the first night that we brought her in, we actually took her to McDonald's and just got her some dinner and then we popped her in, um, bought her new clothing and a new toothbrush and a couple of new items because all of her clothing, they were just, they were gross. They were completely covered in bugs. And we're just like, we can't, we can't even bring these home. Mm-hmm. We have to toss them out and, and get new things for her. Um, mm-hmm. cause we want to, we do want to care for their health as well. Right. <laughs> so that part of it is important. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like the whole time, the whole way home, she was just shaking and she didn't say a word. And I know when we um, checked in with the doctor, he said that within a year, we would know whether her speech, if she had a speech impediment or if um, she didn't speak due to the trauma that she suffered. Right. And so that's just that's heartbreaking mm-hmm. um, to hear that, because mm. I just can't imagine what that feels like as a child, knowing that you don't really have a sense of like a voice. Mm. Um, And that's just been like, your spirit has almost been pulled from you, you know? Yeah. totally. So yeah, I know the first two weeks were extremely hard because we just didn't know that she was going to pull through, you know, she barely ate. Well, she basically what she did is she ate and she slept. And so I think that's, you know, I, I'd imagine that she needed rest after everything that she had gone through. Mm -hmm. Right. And, but yeah, we just weren't sure that she was going to pull through some days and, um, that's heart wrenching as staff when you're there and you just want to nurture and love and care for these children. And you see them just so they've just got some walls built up because there's just, they don't understand what it means to be genuinely loved. Right. Mm -hmm. They've been in relationships with individuals who have just needed something from them or wanted something from them. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't it wasn't that I'm just I'm loved for for how I am. It's the experiences that they've gone through can bring on a lot of shame for these kids. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And I just imagine as staff, like you're a mom um, and Sometimes I think you would not you in, but I'm just saying in general, you think like, oh, they're rescued, but there are so many steps to getting them back kind of into society. And as a mom and the rescuer, you would just want nothing more than just to like hug them and tell them that everything's going to be okay. And it's just not that simple. That's just not how it goes. No, it really isn't. And and I don't think... To some extent, I don't think that we can fully understand what they really have gone through, right? So with um, this particular 11-year-old, she just eventually, as time went on and we were able to uh, build trust with her, she started talking, which was great. We were excited to hear her voice and just hear her interacting with us. Um, But, you know, the hard hard part about that comes, you know, she started talking about the things that she had gone through. She talked about how, you know, she was gang-raped. And then just left bleeding by herself. And she wasn't able to to walk for a couple of days. She had to actually clean herself off. So the blood that was left, she had to clean off of herself. And um, she she went dumpster diving. She's looking through dumpsters to look for food. And, you know, the, the sad part was that her mom and dad, the her parents, the ones that are supposed to care and nurture for her, 
they were actually both addicts and they used her to supply drug money. So, um, like that's heart, that's really, really heartbreaking. Um, and honestly, if if she talked about how, if she wouldn't comply, they would just, they would beat her. Right. So, I mean, for, for, um, this particular 11 year old, she's been within our home for, you know, about a year and, you know, it's been, it's been a, beautiful journey for her she's really started to bloom a lot and it's just um it really amazes us i think no matter what we will always stand in amazement of what love really can do for Mm -hmm. for these children right and and being in a safe space is so important for these kids and knowing that we are standing in their corner we are rooting for them we are investing into them we are loving them and, um, yeah, I think that that's, you know, our main focus as an organization is to create that space for them and to just love them. Mm-hmm. That's such like a heartbreaking story. Like that's so hard to hear, especially as a mom that you could mm-hmm. do that to your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's really sad. Um, so can you share some of the stats on, like how often this happens? Absolutely. So there's about 1.2 million children that are trafficked every year. Oh um, my. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> One million. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The numbers that just are crazy. really hit me. That is a big freaking number. One million. Okay. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> I think that's that's a good reaction. I think that's an appropriate reaction. Um, and approximately 17,000 of those children are brought to, to the U.S. and Canada alone. And um, 70% of trafficked children have been sold online at some point. And I think, too, like you, you kind of paused at that number 1.2 million. For me, what stood out to me that had me going like that was hearing that there are more people in being trafficked that are in slavery today than ever in history. So that for me just stands out to think like ever in history. Right. So that's huge. It just, I think that just also just drives us on our mission to, to do what we can one person at a time. Right. If we can just reach one Mm -hmm. um, that we're making a difference that we're no kidding. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That is insane. Um, so you mentioned that most of the, I think you said 70%, I'm still just hung up on the million. That is just (laughs) like Mm -hmm. crazy. But you said that I think it was 70% have been sold online. So is that generally where most of, or like how and where does the trafficking happen? Is the online space very utilized for that? So I think the extent of human trafficking um, is actually difficult to access because it is so hidden and very underreported. You know, shocking as the statistics are, there are actually only a fraction of what's going on um, because it's, yeah, it's so hidden, right? It's such an underground thing and it's it's all over the world but it could also be happening in our own backyards mm-hmm. and so we, we just don't know where to look for it and it like I said it is pretty underreported and um 
victims, you know, they're trafficked in their own country um, and they're in their traffic between countries and they're always kind of kept on the move. So it's really hard to track mm. this. Um, so in answer to your question, um, yeah, I would say definitely since 70% of them are trafficked online at some point, a lot of it does happen online, but it, you know, we can't just think it's just happening online. Um, it's, it's everywhere, honestly. Yeah. It could be, like I said, our own backyards. Yeah. So in terms of how this all happens, I guess, like are most, in most cases, are they kidnapped and taken away from their families or can this be happening to people who are people that we know, I guess? Yeah. It's a good question. Yeah, I was kind of actually looking into this because I was like, I'm actually not quite sure. But I think um, from the research that I gathered is like some most of the content that I found is up to 50. They just estimated that up to 50 percent are actually uh, people that you know within your like that are part of your life, Uh, people that you trust. Right. And so. That's, I mean, that's pretty shocking to me. It's um, really shocking. Yeah, because in my mind, I think, and I, I don't know if it's the same for a lot of other people, but in my mind, like, I just had this perception of, like, most are kidnapped, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is not the case. Um, I think a lot of traffickers, actually, what they do, and um, they, they can be very, very manipulative. So a lot of it is through building relationships, right? And so they could be posing as a boyfriend, right? And um, especially to vulnerable children, like let's say boyfriend, a vulnerable girl who is looking um, for attention, who is who is bullied or who doesn't have a lot of friends, generally mm. um, keeps to herself or just doesn't feel like she belongs really anywhere or is just not getting um, the attention or doesn't have proper relationships within her own family or the proper supports within her own family. Um, I think that they just, they more or less look for individuals that have any way that they can manipulate. Right. Mm -hmm. So if they can, if they can run off, okay, like, um, you don't have a supportive male in your life, then let me be, you know, I really love you. I really care for you. Um, I know you're only 13, but, you know, you're almost like an adult, you can make your own choices. And um, yeah, like a lot of it is actually through building relationships and just kind of that Romeo relationship too, where they will be excessively nice and gifting gifts. Um, Some of it is through social media, such as Facebook, right? Um, There is some newspaper ads and internet ads for job opportunities as well. So that more or less is, I mean, it's in Canada here too. It's in, but more or less a lot of it that happens in third world countries where, um, victims often find themselves promised, you know, really great job opportunities Mm. um, that give them a way out of their poverty stricken communities. And I think they give them a lot of hope that um, they're going to be able to bring in a good amount of um, support for their families, like financial support. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I think a lot of it is based on a lot of false promises. So whether that's money, new clothes, work, or 
um, education opportunities, financial aid for their family. Um, so I think at first they just use a lot of intimidation, a lot of deception, actually, and manipulation. And then they revert to intimidation and violence. And it's more or less, okay, so I, I did these things for you. And now you owe me or you have to pay me back. And yeah. when your debt is settled, then... Um, then you can decide for what you want to do. But a lot of the time they just, their debt is never settled. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And do you know, for individuals that are, that are um, not, not wanting to comply, a lot of them, they are drugged or so then what happens is these victims become drug dependent. So mm. therefore they're dependent on their pimp or their, you know, mm -hmm. because they just, they have to get their fix. Right. And so that's the very, yeah. very hard part about it. So. Yeah, that is. And as you're saying that, like that Romeo connection, I think that we have oh. probably, most people listening have probably seen that sort of thing on Facebook or even TV shows where it's, you know, you see the girl sitting behind the computer typing and it's this like older man who's, you know, showering her but really it's all manipulation but when we think about it like that we'll call her Jane that you spoke about in Mexico she was 11 years old like she doesn't know what manipulation is she's not like cognitively developed enough to understand that um no oh can you tell I'm heated <laughs> my ears are red I'm hot <laughs> so the, a lot of the time is it is it more youth that this happens to than than younger children honestly i think human trafficking can happen to anyone but i do statistics show that some are definitely more vulnerable than others so i think some risk factors would be like recent migration uh, relocation if individuals struggle with substance substance abuse that would be one way to reel them in mm -hmm. um, individuals or even kiddos or younger youth that struggle with that have mental health concerns um, a lot of kids who have been in the welfare system that just they've been moved around from place to place to place and they just don't really have that stable yeah. adult relationship in their life are very vulnerable as well and do you know um traffickers do target a lot of runaway youth right and so course, yeah yeah i think that's that's just an easy target for them um have you ever or like heard of anything or experienced anything where um like do you even have just an example of you know, something that we talked about before was how somebody moved into a home and kind of like befriended a family. Can you share that? Definitely. Yeah. Um, so this particular child, she, her mom and dad were separated. And so she would go um, between homes. And I think that's very common actually in our society right now, but she would go between homes and her dad, um, worked from home and he was a great dad. He's just, when he had work to do, sometimes he would encourage her to go play at the park for an hour or so. And so, um, yeah, she would go out, she would go play at the park and right across from the street, um, there was a home and this gentleman came out to the park and had told her she was three at the time. And he had just told her that, you know, he had a daughter 
at home who was really, really sick. She couldn't come out to play and she had seen her playing outside and having fun through her window and she just wanted a friend. And if, you know, if she was interested in coming, coming into the home and just making a new friend with his daughter and they could play together and have fun together. And so absolutely. Right. She goes into the home, not, not thinking, not. Yeah. Because you yeah. teach your I mean, kids. Three. Three. Yeah. 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 I, she's three. Right. Like what do you, I mean, really? Yeah. I'll, I'd love to make a new friend. And especially if she's sick, that's sad. Yeah. And so she goes in trusting that that's the, that's the case, but it wasn't. He actually, there was no child. He, he didn't own, he didn't have any children and he just took advantage of her. And, you know, that's, that's heart wrenching that an, that an adult would feel that that would be okay. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that yeah. I, I, I personally, I feel anger flare up inside of me because yeah. it's, it's taking advantage of the vulnerable. It's taking advantage of innocence. I'm like so, sitting here like sick to my stomach. Like that's I know. just so hard to hear. Me too. So that happens. So this man brings this three-year-old into his home. Um, the daughter obviously goes home because we know this story. So what, do, like, does that continue to happen? Is that like a one-time thing? Like it, what? It, no, it continued happening and it continued happening. And he, th- he actually threatened her that if she was going to tell anybody that um, he would just take her sister and her sister was younger. So for her, it was, I'm protecting my sister from, from having to go through this, you know, and, and he, he threatened her parents and it's amazing what he had, the information that he had gathered on their family their family. He knew exactly when she was at her mom's and when she was staying with her dad's. Like she, he knew exactly what her schedule was. And so, you know, to minimize, um, the manipulation that goes into this is yes. Yeah. It's well thought out. Yes, absolutely. Very well thought out. So, I mean, for this particular individual, it did continue happening and Um, I think sometimes as parents, you know, we can maybe be distracted with things, right? And so uh, what these kiddos go through, sometimes we only see like glimpses of signs. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so nothing major. Sometimes they could have behavioral issues, but sometimes it's small things. And so... You know, for us, it's it's always been really important to actually encourage parents to have a strong relationship mm-hmm. with their kids, to communicate constantly with their kiddos. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely keep that communication open. Yeah, to have open and continuous communication lines with their kids, right? Mm-hmm. So let's dive into that a bit more. Can you guys give us examples of, say, what you do? Because you are with, not for sale. Um, but you're also mom. So how do you bring that into your home and have those conversations? And what does that look like for you guys? I think, first of all, it, you know, we were talking about that um, open and continuous conversation. I think too, just creating space for that conversation is very important. And, you know, every family dynamic is different. So this would look different for each family, maybe even different for each child. Mm -hmm. Um, And we know our children are all very different. Um, 
but um you know angelica has mentioned too they do like game nights and stuff and i love that and those are that's a, such a perfect opportunity to have those conversations i know um for us in our home um we like to snuggle up with our kids in bed as we tuck them in. And that's kind of like, we, we, we take our time doing this. It's never a short thing, but it's, it's so amazing. Um, we get to just lay there with them and, um, it, you know, we each take about a half hour with each child. And then I love in the morning, especially now we get that time to where they come into my room and they're just snuggle up with me and we just hang out and we get to have those conversations and absolutely love that. Um, one example of a conversation I've had with my kids too is, um, and just, you know, I had them um, sit down with me and I held up one of their toys and, you know, I kind of walked them through the process of how we um, purchased the toy. We went to the store, we picked out something we liked, we paid for it, we brought it home. And over time there was wear and tear. And, you know, once the toy gets old enough, we can toss it. And there's some people out there that uh, think that that's okay to do with a human being. And, um, oh. you know... Yeah. And with, you know, unlike with the toy, once there's wear and tear, we get to toss it out. We see it on the outside. And but with a human, you know, they can continue to use this person over and over again. And the wear and tear happens on the inside because the human has a soul. Right. So they're really broken on the inside. And I think, too, just sharing that with your children, um, you know, it develops sensitivity in them as well um, to other people and to other children, you know, that maybe aren't having a great day into how they're maybe acting and that, you know, maybe life isn't going good for them and that there might be something else um, going on. And so yeah. just always creating that awareness too, that they, yeah, they give love, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think like in our own home, I mean, my two, I have, an 11 year old and a nine year old. And so it's interesting because sometimes I'm not sure if you have in mind, like we, so we have, for example, Monday nights and then we, we play games, but as we play games, we, we connect with each other. So like, what is something that important that's happening in your life right now? What is something that's, that's hard right now for you? Um, you know, just having those conversations and checking in on them. We don't have to sit them down on the couch and be like, okay, mm -hmm. we're having this conversation. We're talking. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, um, do you know what? Monday nights, we know if we want to play a game, we can, and we can have fun and we can still talk about the hard things. We can still mm -hmm. talk about the good things. We can still talk about where they are at. Um, so, you know, our kids know that Monday nights, if, if I really need to hash out, you know, some struggles that I've been going through with my friends at school, uh, we can talk to mom and dad about them. And we have a rule. There's this is there's no judgment here, right? Like this is mm. open, honest mm -hmm. communication. And, um, and we encourage our kids if we, we need to connect, we need to communicate. And, we want to know what's happening in your life because we love and care for you and and we want to want to see walk the road with you basically right you're not in mm -hmm. this alone we're walking it out with you and so any way that we can support you or even we give them permission look if if we're parenting in a way that is actually hurting you or if there's something that we did that hurt you, you can, this is an open table. We communicate, mm -hmm. we talk about it. Okay. So what is then, what is a way that we can change it? What is a way that we can address it and make it better? Um, but talking about human trafficking, 
you know, it, it can look at like as simple as um, a lot of kids don't have the same uh, privileges as you do. Mm. And, mm. and they are used and abused. And this is not okay. And if it does, if, if you're in a situation where you feel uncomfortable with somebody, use your intuition. And I always tell my kids that use your intuition because usually it is right. Mm -hmm. And I would rather you, even if, even if you were wrong, I'd rather you follow your intuition and be wrong than not follow your intuition and be proven right. Does yeah. that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's solid. It, I love that you have those conversations with your kids. And I think that those are super, super important um, to have that open communication. I know one thing that we do in our home, because I only have an almost three-year-old, so those conversations look a little bit different for us. Hmm. But I think it's important, or what it is important in our family that we, in terms of like sex trafficking and, and that sort of thing, we talk about the body parts and we talk mm. about what they are and the actual names for them. Um, my mother-in-law was very adamant that we be using all of the right parts because she had shared with me a story um, of a, I don't know if it was a little boy or a little girl. And I lied. It's a, it was a little girl and she was telling her teacher how her uncle ate her cookie mm. and her, her teacher had no idea what she was talking about. She was like, oh, your uncle ate your cookie. Like, that's so sad. Yeah. And didn't realize for months that until she was speaking with her parents that her cookie was actually her vagina. And that broke the teacher's heart because this child was trying to reach out for help and didn't wasn't able to communicate properly because they weren't using the right body parts. Yeah. So I think that that... That just, you and I have talked about that. And something mm -hmm. that keeps playing in my mind too is <clears throat> even if other families don't use those proper terms, if we can teach our kids the proper terms for their bodies, but then also, you know, maybe if Tate and I have that really open relationship. And like you said, Margie, you know, when he comes in in the morning, it's kind of our time to talk. And, you know, he knows that he can come to me about anything. Maybe he's in a class one day with a child who doesn't have that communication or that relationship with their family. But, you know, maybe that friend says something and Tate is like, mm, that doesn't feel right to me. Something is off. My intuition is calling. He can then bring that to, you know, to me or to his dad. Um, so I, I love that. And Sam, we've had lots of conversations around that. And sometimes I think it can be kind of an awkward thing almost. Um, I'm really trying to work with Tate on that. And he keeps thinking that his penis is peanuts. For elephants <laughs> and I'm just it happened again today where he's like oh for the elephants mom it's like no that's not what we're talking about um, I mean it's cute but also <laughs> I'm so glad he's only three and we're having these con I have some time but yeah I I think that it's so important and like you guys said like your kids know that safe place and I love how both of you you have those that time, like Margie, you're bringing your kids into their safe place. They feel comfort. They're, you know, they're calm. They, they understand that that line of communication is open, but then also like Angelica, you're having, 
it's a fun time and you're teaching your kids that things don't always have to be like that harsh sit down conversation that they want to avoid. You know, I think, yeah, I just think that's I'm like, please keep that as a mental note so that I can implement all of this. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And I think, well, honestly, sometimes it is we're sitting down and we're having a serious conversation. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we start the game and something comes up and it's like, oh, okay, no, we need to like talk this, talk about this and get this addressed. And so I think as parents too, just really study your kids, really get to know who your kids are, right? Get to know how do they function? How do they feel most loved? How, um, how do you meet them where they're at? How do you communicate well with them? And it's, you know, that part is really, really important. Keeping those communication lines is very, very important, I think. And as for your three-year-old, honestly, it could be as simple as yes, teaching, um, him the right body parts that is really really important and also just mentioning boundaries right Mm -hmm. because this is actually his body Mm -hmm. and it's okay to have boundaries it's actually healthy to have boundaries with your body and it's not appropriate for somebody else to touch you and in a private part and if somebody does you uh, you can trust me and you can come and talk to me and you can tell me um I will not be mad Mm-hmm. Do you know, I want to keep you safe because yeah. I love you and that's okay. And one of the things too, that we actually mentioned to our children is if in that moment you don't feel comfortable coming to mom or dad, go to someone you trust, uh-huh. tell an adult, yeah. right? And tell someone that is safe for you and just leaving that open so they can just share. Yeah. Yeah. And they need to know the proper names of their body parts, right? Mm-hmm. Like re- research has shown that knowing the proper names, actually it enhances your kids' body image. It en- enhances their self-confidence and their openness. Oh. So yeah. And I think that's great. I think if as much as we can build um, a healthy body image, I mean, that's mm-hmm. really important. This, this is your body. This is how you were created. You don't need to feel ashamed of it, right? Yeah. You're, you're created beautifully in your own way. And that's, that's a good way. It's, it's a good um, self-confidence builder as well. I could totally see that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so having the correct language, even, you know, in case, let's say somebody has molested your child or something has happened or a child has been molested, it'll be that much easier for the child to um, communicate that to an adult, but also for the adult to understand and identify what has happened. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it also makes me wonder, um, you know, let's say a child does know his body parts or her body parts and knows that, no, these are my boundaries. Um, You know, if that molestation were to begin for them to say, no, like, do not touch, like, I don't like that. Whereas if you don't know what your body parts are and you've never, you know, understood that you have boundaries, they just might not know. I mean, I think that, well, I know that a lot of times it's people in their close circle. So, you know, you trust uncle. Well, uncle says that this is a good thing to do. And, but if they understand that, no, this is my, you know, my body parts are special. Don't touch me. Mm -hmm. You just kind of wonder what, what happens there, what that looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So can we just dive a little bit into, um, like where do the profits for not for sale go? Like, what do you guys, because I know you guys have a lot of um, ways that people can help, for one, spread the awareness, but also to help 
raise money for Not For Sale. So what do those profits go to? Right. So the profits raised for Not For Sale, they go directly towards our projects. So whether it's rent for the home, the staff in Mexico who are running the home, um, even picking up the necessities that the children need, um, you know, those things are really important. Being able to offer them medical help, being able to offer them the psychologist that comes um, and sees these kids and invests into their mental health, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so those things are really important. And, you know, those are the, the, that's where basically the funds are allocated. Some of them, some of the funds allocated do go into buying um, the merchandise line that we do have. So, um, but it's been a way for us to actually fundraise, right? Mm -hmm. And to raise awareness too, it's given us great opportunity here in Canada to raise awareness, to have great conversations. I can't tell you a time where we've been at a pop-up shop and and nobody has asked about what who we are, what we do, right? Everybody that comes in, they want to know what is not for sale. What are you guys yeah. doing? What do you mean human trafficking? What do you mean human trafficking in our own backyard? Does that mm -hmm. really happen, mm -hmm. right? And so that part of it has been also really, really important for us. But um, yeah, we... It's it's important for us to be wise, to know where our funds should be allocated. And so um, I think our main focus is to just provide the best for those that, for the children, for the victims that are rescued. Mm -hmm. Margie, you had said this earlier, how you're like, even if we help one person, I mean, I am all, I know Sam too, we're just like, how can we help? So I'm so glad that Sam mm -hmm. asked that question too, because it's like, it's worth it knowing that there's one child safer. Definitely. And our team, we say that all the time. You know what? If a game came down to it and we only ever rescued one, it would be worth it for us mm -hmm. because that one matters. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's not about the numbers. It's not about the amount that we've rescued. It's about each Every, and every child yes. right so it's not about the quantity at all it's about who is standing in front of us and they have value right mm -hmm. so and I think it's a great way to look at it as well because I mean we can look at the statistics I shared earlier and it can be mm -hmm. so overwhelming like how do you start right and if you focus on the one it's like we're focusing on this one right now yes. one at a time and it just yeah keeps us yeah, going I love that mm -hmm. that does so keep if, us going mm -hmm. yeah I love that if people want to kind of directly help, um, how can we do that? Because sign me up. <laughs> yeah. Well, we do have what we call the five S's. Um, number one is share. So we do a lot of social media and the links in the posts are all shareable. So just by sharing a post, you're actually doing a huge part. And you can join our newsletter uh, where you'll receive the latest news and updates from our team. And you can do this by going to the website and the website, actually I'll share it here. It's www.notforsale, the number four, sale.ca. And if you just go scroll right to the bottom, you'll see where you can receive the newsletter. Uh, the second S is shop. So we have our merchandise line and um, it's very versatile and very comfortable. We love yeah. wearing it. We're always wearing our cozy hoodies. <laughs> I was going to say, your guys' <laughs> stuff is so cute. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. So cool. And um, 
wearing it is actually also a great conversation starter. I love when people come up like she was like Angelica was sharing, like they're like, what is not for sale? And, you know, we have that on our clothing and it's just such Mm -hmm. a great way to, to be able to, um, raise awareness. And the third S is sponsor. So you can sponsor a child. Um, and when you're sponsoring a child, you're donating to each of their individual needs. And that can look like what Angelica was talking about uh, earlier, like um, it covers for their home, like clothing, doctor's visits, therapy with a psychologist and dental hygiene, etc. things like that. Um, number four is serve. So on our website, there's a volunteer form that you can fill out and we will connect with you from there and explore what you are passionate about and where just where would be a good fit for you. Mm-hmm. And um, the fifth S is support. And so you can just support us by making a monetary donation. And that would be just a one-time donation. Or you can select a monthly donation. And that will be automatically withdrawn on the date that Mm. you select. So, yeah, those are some things that you can do right now to help. Mm -hmm. I love that. And we'll make sure we put, um, obviously, we'll put all of your information in the show notes. So if you guys are listening, you can for sure um, check that out. Because I think, yeah, I think it's incredible. And just as a total side note, when Sam came to me and was like, okay, we need to have this um, not-for-profit organization. It's called Not For Sale. And I I had no idea, right? So I think that's exactly it. Like, even if you're just listening to this episode, share it on your social media. Like, spread the word. Mm-hmm. Get this out. Because that's just raising that awareness and even teaching us moms, you know, the conversations. I think that piece was so huge to this. Like, how do we protect our kids from the inside and not just bubble wrap them and keep them tied to our waist for the rest of their life? Because <laughs> yeah. That's what I would like to do. Yeah, it is tempting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> was there anything else that you guys wanted to share? Um, do you know what? I read this quote by Lewis Hose um, just a couple of days ago, and it says, when you have a vision that is strong enough and powerful enough, nothing can stand in your way. And so I know it's not for sale. You know what? Our vision, I, we know that our mission and our vision is big um, because it's to see the end of human trafficking in our lifetime, right? Mm-hmm. But like Margie shared before, you know, we believe that every life matters and that every life is precious. So in everything that we do, We're just, we are really grateful and thankful for the individuals that come and help us and that walk alongside us. You know, um, I think when it comes to this cause, it's, it pulls at your heartstrings and I know for myself, it was just um, about three years ago when we went, I went on on the trip to Mexico and we encountered a three and an eight year old that were being trafficked by their mom. And we didn't have anything in place at this time. And it was just so heart-wrenching knowing that I'm leaving this place. And I just, mm. I can't help these children. I can't pull them out of it. And I actually wrestled with it so, so badly. But I came home and I was just like, there is just no way that I'm not getting involved. There's just no way that I'm like walking away from this and continuing on with my everyday life. I just can't. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for individuals to come alongside us and just help us be like world changers, really. And that's a slogan that we have on some of our hoodies is let's go change the world. And, you know, as an organization, we can't do this alone. And 
And we love it when individuals want to come alongside us. And it doesn't matter what that looks like. It could look differently for each individual. So some, someone might be able to just give what is in their hand right now. So whether that's, you know, giving financially or their talents, you know, they want to come and volunteer for our organization. That's great. Let's connect. Let's communicate. Where are your strengths and where can you see yourself adding value? And let's go from there, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So we do believe that everyone plays a part in this fight and nothing is stopping us. I'm going to just say that. (laughs) (laughs) I really feel like nothing is stopping us. We will celebrate every life that has changed because we're fighting this together, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to celebrate right next to you guys. We're going to totally, absolutely. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm coming to Alberta. (laughs) Yep. Well, you guys, thank you so much for being on here. I love how you guys just stand, um, you know, in the saying that knowledge is power. And I know that for Sam and I, this has been so huge. Um, And I know that every single person listening to this, whether they're a mom or not, they're leaving this feeling more empowered um, in their stance. And they for sure will be joining us in um, and you guys kind of in the stance for that. So make sure you guys go check them out on Instagram um, at victory, not for sale. Come follow us and hang out with us at the messy mama pod. And we will see you guys.